Business. Father's Day is coming up. I don't know if you know that. It's 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 coming up shortly. I just remembered that it's Father's Day when I talked to my dad the other day and it's like, oh man, I need to buy my dad a gift. Well, that's where Dugout Mugs could come in handy. Dugout Mugs is a company started in a college baseball dugout, hence the name Dugout Mugs. It's essentially a mug made out of the barrel of a baseball bat. That's right. They take a barrel of a bat and turn it into a 12-ounce mug. It's licensed by Major League Baseball, so your favorite team is laser engraved onto the baseball bat barrel mug. It's pretty sweet. It's, I mean, first of all, it's fun to drink out of any mug, but to get a mug out of a baseball bat kind of makes it a little more fun, especially when you got like a White Sox logo on there. It's it's perfect for the big game. You, can, you don't even have to use it. You could just put it on display or you can use it to be the life of the party, which you already are. It's a unique gift for any baseball fan and it's a great gift for your father so if you're looking for a father's day gift or maybe you're just missing baseball and you want something to help remind you of it go to dugoutmugs.com slash the athletic and use the promo code mlb30 for 30 percent off your first purchase that's dugoutmugs.com slash the athletic and code mlb30 field people will come and it doesn't happen you have to look at how you're doing business hello and welcome to white Sox business the show that is actually recording this time i am tom fernelli and joining me today is the athletics james vegan uh last time we talked to you the white Sox had just put their cojones on the table and drafted garrett crochet out of tennessee since then, they've drafted four more players, and even though only one of them seems to matter, we'll talk a bit about all four of them on today's show. Uh, James also talked to Tony Vitello, Crochet's coach at Tennessee, his high school coach, Brian Ray, the coaches of Jared Kelly and some people he's working with. Did any of them trash them? You'll find out soon enough. We'll also talk about how futile the draft might have been, considering baseball seems intent on shooting itself in the face repeatedly. But before we do any of that, James, how was your weekend? Uh, I ate a lot of tacos yesterday, so I give it a thumbs up. Was it just like a, a reason for it, or did you just wake up on Sunday and say, man, I'm going to eat me some tacos? Um, I had played some tennis uh, on the Waveland. I bumped into Teddy uh, Greenstein uh, for some reason, um, and I was in an area, and my wife was hungry, and I wasn't going to come back without food, and so I wound up buying eight tacos, um, which was too many, probably, but you know, not 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 egregiously too many to where I'm in pain right now. <laughs> well, then you didn't eat enough tacos. That's the way I view it. You gotta, you know, it's you're not done eating tacos until it hurts. That's just the rule. Yeah, that that's definitely the rule from ages like 18 to 26. Uh, <laughs> I I like to be able to go on with the rest of my day. Uh, now that I actually like have things I want to get done and I'm not like listlessly coasting through life uh, without purpose other than like, I don't know, sabotaging things up and, um, um, you know, making myself feel better through uh, alcohol usage. I don't know what the owners are doing right now. Uh, that's unrelated thoughts. <laughs> I will say, I think one of the things about when you're in your 30s is waking up to discover body parts hurting for reasons you don't really understand. Um. I like to think I understand why my back is messed up. I like to think I can recall all the times I've hunched over or like not thought about the way I'm sitting ergonomically while I'm like hastily pounding out a story or just being lazy and trying to see uh, the FIFA on my TV better. And, and I like to think I'm paying for it uh, the way I deserve. 
I don't know why my foot was so sore when I woke up this morning, but it is, and I'll worry about it later if it doesn't stop being sore. But I would, if Mike Shirley's back is hurting him, it's probably from <laughs> hefting those cojones of his and putting them on the table, or at least that's that's what Tony Vitello, Garrett Crochet's college coach, felt about the White Sox making. You noticed that and, quote, huh? Yeah, I did. I mean, it was. It's like right there in the lead of the story, and it's about cojones being put on table, which I feel like could cause a Me Too moment. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it depends on the context, I guess. Like, he could have sought out consent before he did it. <laughs> hey, excuse me, everybody. Just bags on the table. Excuse me. Excuse me. Does anybody mind if I put my cojones on here real quick? I just don't want to offend anybody or alarm you, but I just want to be clear. I'm going to take out my cojones, and I'm going to put them... Right there on this table. Is that cool? It's fun because when Jim Parquet talked about like having enough sack, he kind of apologized before he said it. And I thought it'd be funny to include the apology. But at this point, like Vitello kind of said like awesome. So I'm like, I don't know if this is the most appropriate way, but he really <laughs> put his cojones on the table. I was like, yeah, I think at this point the readers are ready for it. Uh, <laughs> that's that's how it's going to read. So so what did he have to say about his former pitcher? I mean, he's entirely he's the point of saying his cojones on the table, and I really felt it was for me validating because it was how I was assessing the draft already. And yeah, obviously that's based on what scouts are telling me that this was like bold and all that. But to have a coach, a guy who's very much a Garrett Crochet fan, also say like, Yeah, this guy was really putting his neck on the line to do this, um kind of kind of validated what my already assessment of it, but that Garrett Crochet if you read a laundry list of doubts about him, it's that uh, the changeup is not established. There, there's basically no track record of him using it effectively in games. You know, you had Keith Law on your last week saying, like, there's no change up to speak of. And if you talk about his track record in games, that's 100% accurate. And that's the reason other teams were saying this is a reliever and they're not going to start him. Um, you don't have the history of him starting uh, repeatedly. They, they have reasons for why they were kind of using him as a super bullpen guy because he just felt like the teams the first two years were bad. And anytime they had a lead, they just like throw throw crochet out there for three, four innings. Let's lock this down because we, we, we're not going to like lose with our, our, our third starter and our, our relievers uh, losing this game for us. And then he felt like that was why he didn't have the track record of starting, but he still didn't have it. They were expecting him to just be the Friday night starter all year this season and to kind of by the end of this junior year, you have a full season of crochet starting and saying, all right, that this is a track record. But instead, that's not here. So that's another leap of faith the White Sox are making. And finally, he has the shoulder pop up where he has discomfort. They take him for an MRI. Uh, you know, Vitello Town played it a lot. But the fact that crochet is already a throwing across his body and um, doesn't have like ideal leg drive yet to kind of take stress off his shoulder that made teams kind of question whether or not that it was a, a delivery that kind of puts a extra injury risk that they kind of are confident on all three ends. There was like this last bullpen session that Vitello described to me um, as he's coming back from his injury before he makes his one start where he starts throwing the change up super consistently in a way that they felt like they never seen before. And the fact that, you know, they did the research on him that, you know, that his shoulder, they were just being cautious and that it, they felt like there wasn't a significant injury, that the MRI was fine, and that he came back throwing as hard as ever. All of that buying into that and all that being the result of them just scouting him kind of regularly and, and, and not just kind of going off his games and his big appearances, he felt like was the, the White Sox being very bold in their assessments from what they saw and not just, uh, you know, kind of having the courage to go out of beyond what the crowd thought of Crochet 
uh, and their faith of him to pick him 11. So that's the expression of why he put his cojones on the table. Also, you know, there are, there are other guys, there are other prep arms are available. Mick Abel is available. There's certainly some, some push in the, in the White Sox camp to go other directions. And, um, for the White Sox to go on this, it, it definitely takes some confidence and, and some push from the, the scouting director at top to say like, Hey, I believe in this, we're going with this and, uh, we'll, we'll pay a full slot for, uh, you know, it's likely going to be a near full slot for an 11th overall pick on this guy. Um, who, you know, as Keith Law said, was only ranked 39th on his board. So the White Sox are very much um, going out on a limb a bit. And as, as much as it's a weird draft, it's a unique draft, and I don't know how much it compared to others, it's it's going to be very much uh, marked by these two bold decisions on both Crochet and, and Jared Kelly that had to share the doubters behind it. Okay, so... He is putting his cojones on the table, and those are the reasons why. But you mentioned, too, the slot. Like, do we expect that he's going to get full slot? Because I can't help but feel like one of the reasons, besides liking Crochet, not to say that they didn't like him, but based on how the entire draft went, and based on, like, Jared Kelly, the second-round pick, who, you know, had been a Texas commit, was one of the top high school pitchers available by just about anybody who ranks these prospects— had high demands for what it was going to take to get him to back out of going to college and signing. And is there any chance that part of the reason they took Crochet is because they felt that if they drafted him at 11, which if Keith Law says he's the 39th overall prospect and who knows where he was on anybody else's board, but with, did they feel like they could get him under the slot, which would therefore leave more money available to give to Jared Kelly? I think it's possible to get slightly. I don't think it's a Hunter Kerstad uh, situation where they, you know, this is a guy who could have fallen to 10 if they didn't take him second overall and they would expect a significant underslot. Um, Vitello felt like, uh, said he knew of two teams, like in the next four or five picks that were also playing to pick Crochet um, after if the White Sox passed. So he felt like it wasn't going to be a free fall situation where you're picking a guy who might otherwise go in the second round and thus has a, a different financial uh value placed on him so I, I think it's a possibility to be slightly under i don't think it's a saving 500 grand situation and all that's going to kelly uh, i think that's probably a little too much and i think at most the track record of college starters even though they don't have uh much leverage to go back is that they are if they're going to a major program like that they usually get around full slot it, it, Again, some potential go slightly under, and when you have someone like Kelly who's demanding as much as he he's going to demand, every little bit counts. But I don't think it's a, a I don't think that's the strategy behind it. Okay, so then let's let's get to Kelly, the the young righty out of Refugio, Texas. Do you that's know how, how to do you know how to pronounce it? Because it's yes, both it's, uniquely pronounced. It's like Luis Robert to me. Like it's it's spelled Refugio, but it is pronounced Refugio. Right, but. Everyone I'm hearing say it over the past this weekend is saying it in a deep South Texas accent. So I don't know Refugio. if they're Refugio. Yeah, I don't know how much they're saying it like it sounds different because they're pronouncing it different, or how much they're saying because everything they say sounds different to me. I think it's probably the the latter part. But from what my understanding, and I am a Refugio scholar. I mean, I studied it in college. It's Refugio because it sounds cooler that way than Refugio. But they don't. They they say it's refugio, but they say it refugio, and it's just kind of like drips like, out it's, like it's honey. It's like the Lu, it's like the Louisville of Texas, where like there's seven thousand different ways to say it, and the locals all use all seven thousand. Like I, it's is it Louisville? Is it Louisville? Is it Louisville? Louisville. Like you hear it, Louisville. 
I side story. I remember when I was in Champaign, I, I met a girl who uh, she was a student, but she was from Louisville. And I asked her where she was from, and she kept saying Louisville. And I had no, I was like, oh, okay, well, where's that from? And she looked at me like I was a fucking idiot. And I'm like, she's like, Louisville? I says, yeah, where's that? She goes, it's in Kentucky. And I was like, oh, you mean Louisville. And then she did not really take kindly to me correcting the way she pronounced the city where she was from. And that kind of killed that conversation quickly. I I can't imagine anyone wanting to kill a conversation with you, Tom. There are certain times you don't want to go to a doctor's office for a medical visit. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. And that's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment's right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash White Sox for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash White Sox for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Jared Kelly, uh, you talked to his coaches. I mean, give, first of all, give us a little quick scouting report, and then you could talk about you know what his coaches said about him. Jared Kelly is a Division One quarterback who uh, was talked into playing baseball. Base. Um, well, like he was the starting quarterback for his team in Ferrario, and uh, basically quits football after his sophomore year to focus on baseball full time. He was playing. Quarterback and middle linebacker for his high school and also doing the long snapping. He, like, Gary Crochet is this long, like, you know, there's a sale comparisons with him being, like, this huge bird-like uh, presence. Jared Kelly is, like, looks like, is built like a, someone in their late 20s, like, like very thickly built. uh um, thick boy. Major league starter already. Yeah. It, projectable is not the term you're going to, like, hear with him. He's he's kind of fully formed, and that's part of the concern that some scouts have is like, how is that going to be when he ages if he's already, you know, Courtney Hawkins at age eighteen? Um, but he he is runs it up mid to high nineties. There's reports of him getting ninety nine. I don't know if like I don't think it's necessarily a fair expectation level to think that he's just going to throw ninety nine with every fastball. I think it's you know some scouts have talked about him being more ninety three, ninety six realistically. Obviously, you hope that that continues to rise, um, but. The White Sox are kind of staking it off the idea that he has this elite body control. That's the term that uh, Mike Shirley used repeatedly in the conference call, that he has this ability to control his mass and that he throws it very easily. And that <laughs> <love> scouting talk. <laughs> <laughs> Who does it? And He's come- got elite body control and can control his mass. Yeah. That's that's the thing that his high school coach and Mike McClendon, a former big league reliever who who has been training him for the past three years, said is that he looks like he's not trying. He just gets up to mid-90s with very little effort, very easy delivery. Um, with that, for a high school arm who throws in the big 90s, and I think everyone should know this from the Michael Kopech uh, experience, it's very unusual for those guys to be able to have the feel to kill a changeup, to mm-hmm. have like to take speed off. He is great at that. He has already an above-average changeup. He does not have a consistent breaking ball. And so that's the thing that has kind of dinged his profile and, uh, and one of the sources of doubt along with the body. Um, 
So he's would you then say he's kind of James Shieldish there? Like James Shieldish developed a breaking ball, but he was you know when he first came up, he was mostly fastball, changeup, mid nineties righty. Right, and historically, it's a lot easier to teach somebody how to spin a ball um, mm-hmm. than it is to teach them feel for a changeup. Feel for a changeup's a bit more of an innate skill, you know. You can just Chris Sale just learned an elite slider as a professional. Uh, I I always hate to <laughs> bring up Chris Sale as some sort of reasonable expectation for anybody. He's the floor, but yeah, you, he's been working on his slider. You know, something that they've been McClendon didn't mention as part of the shutdown is that he hasn't been competing in games, so he hasn't been like, how do I get through the start or anything like that. So they've been working nonstop on his slider and looking at Rapsodo data and trying to get his grip right. So it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, talking to Patrick Bailey with NC State about how he, you know, he can't hit, but now he hasn't been working on uh, preparing for games or anything. They've just been in the cage working on a swing. Jared Kelly's just been working on his, his breaking ball feel for basically the last three months. So that's their optimism that he's going to have three pitches that are good to go and and kind of fire his way to the system. He was the top-rated prep arm going into this draft, so the White Sox feel like there's been nothing material that they're really worried with long-term that would drop him as much as he did. They're, you know, something as coaches mentioned was like, how does he drop behind Mick Abel and uh, who was the other guy, Nick Bitsko, when those two guys had their seasons banged entirely, and Jared Kelly pitched four games and struck out um, what was it, number thirty-four guys in twelve innings, and there's you know thirty-six outs and in 12 innings. So he struck out 34 of the 36 outs he got. He gave up like three hits. Um, maybe he gave up one hit. I, it's it, Refugio area high school talent was not competition for Jared Kelly, in case you're worried about that. If if other Refugio area high schools get added to the AO Central, the White Sox are in business because Kelly is going to whip up on them again. Um, but what? go ahead. What's hilarious to me, like you mentioned, like one of the concerns that scouts have about him is that like he's a finished product as far as like his body and all that stuff. And there's not much projection. So what is he, 18? Right. So where have we come with like, this is rhetorical, but like think about where it's come with pitchers and velocity that there's an 18 year old out there who's already throwing in the mid 90s, already has good command of a change up. And scouts are like, yeah, but we're not sure he can get much better. Well, I guess it's this thing of like if his stuff backs up while he works a longer season or um, if his velocity goes down, if he gets bigger and his velocity goes down, where do you go from there? It's not like you can add strength. It's not like you can expect him to continue to grow. Um, if he takes a step backward of some kind, where's the hope for further further development? Like if if. No, I, I get that, but that's the case with every player. So it's like where there's like this, this dude that's pretty much a finished product, and they're like, well, he's throwing 94, 95, but we're not sure he's going to be able to throw 99. Yeah, and, and I, I wonder if some degree of it is, and I'm someone who's heard nothing but skepticism about Kelly from outside the org this past weekend, but I'm saying this is that I wonder how much of it is when you're the top prep arm as a junior year, do you spend the next year with people kind of picking picking nits and mm-hmm talking themselves it's, out of this uh this top-ranked guy for a year, as opposed to somebody who maybe emerges over his last season and we, the the helium is still filling up as opposed to, well, this isn't perfect, this isn't perfect, and you, you, you kind of talk yourself out of somebody who is ranked very highly. Certainly every public outlet that is covering the draft more regularly than I am throughout the year, Baseball America, MLB.com, had this guy as a first-round talent. Um, so yeah, I heard uh, from other scouts who were like, yeah, we, we didn't like it. We were, we were out on it. We're not going to pay him $3 million. We don't know how it, 
how it uh you know projects long term but there's certainly a logic to these picks. You, you certainly know what the White Sox are doing um, with here. They're they're taking these big bets on stuff and that they can develop them. And they felt like once they saw this value slipping down with Kelly, they're like, screw the rest of the this kind of compromised draft. We can get another first rounder that's worth more than third, fourth, fifth rounders. All right. Well, let's move on to the rest of the draft, which is probably the best way to describe what with the rest. It's uh, let's see. The third round they took. <clears throat> the unfortunately spelled Addison Coffee. That's A D I S Y N. Although it could have been worse, they could, it could have been spelled A D Y S Y N. I would say his, is, his Twitter ca- handle of Coffee Time is is pretty good. All right, so he makes up from there. Uh, he is a right-hander out of Wabash Valley College. Uh, the fourth round was Cade McCall's or Meckles. Wabash, Wabash, Wabash. You don't say Wabash. I don't I don't know, man. Wabash. What do you say when you pull onto the street downtown? You call I say it Wabash. I say Wabash. But that's, you know, I don't know if you know this about Chicagoans, James, but we talk funny. Yeah. Uh Cade Meckles, McCalls? Let's go Meckles. Meckles out of Grand Canyon uh University. And then finally, a lefty out of Auburn, Bailey Horn. Uh these three were clearly kind of we can get them cheap to help us afford Jared Kelly signings. Based on anybody that you've talked to, is there any th- inclination that any of these guys will be anything other than organizational filler until they decide to move on with their lives? Horn's probably the best one. Um, he's he's legit, can low mid nineties uh, as a lefty, and uh, has seemed like decent fastball life and some projection that he can kind of get better. You can both his break, uh, off speed pitches are seemingly above average, but he was really on a roll to start the season. He he looked improved. Um, He's a redshirt junior. He had TJ in the past, so I, I think you could probably get your hopes up that maybe he's a he's a lefty reliever down the road. It doesn't. There's not like something in his command profile that's or something in his delivery that specifically says like this guy is a reliever and, and not a starter. But I just don't see like the standout arsenal to really suggest he's going to be a starter. Or if it would be, it'd be a very much like a, a very unexciting depth piece. It would be like I don't know, uh, Bernardo Flores uh, level guy. Um, but obviously. But that's more talking about what Bernardo is now. Bernardo was drafted with the idea that he had a lot of projection, you know, had hit 97 out of the pen and uh, for USC. Um, so, yeah, it, I would say that has the most potential, but that's still not really like a it's not a future huge piece of the organization type of thing. It's like, yeah, they they probably draft this guy with the expectation he could be a, a major leaguer. The other two, Cade Michaels is a very much an org guy he's about to he just had tommy john surgery like last month he's not gonna be a factor anytime of the year he's uh low 90s uh pitch ability dude he, he's gonna be kyle kubat or um tanner banks but right-handed it seems more likely you know even if he gets into a game because right now you don't need an org arm because you don't have you don't need to fill out a rotation for a minor league team um and addison coffee i, I they say he throws 96 but they also said he's a two-way guy and as much as like saying some guy throws 96 is exciting, I feel like there's a reason this dude was like not even in the top 500 for Baseball America because really no one's seen him play on some sustained level. All right. Well, uh, will any of these guys ever actually play baseball anywhere, considering that baseball owners seem really, really intent on killing baseball? Uh, I mean, I guess more likely than not, but I'd say Horn has the best chance. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's important to smell good. I was sitting on the couch the other day with the lady. We were watching TV. She was snuggling up a little close to me, and she, she made a remark that, you know, uh, I, was, I was getting kind of funky. I wish I had gone to Hawthorne.co to take care of that because Hawthorne makes smells that smell really good. Hawthorne makes scents that are tailored to you and what you want and what you love. So you should head to Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. Your friends, your family, they'll thank you for it. The latest was the players over the weekend basically said, all right, fine. You've given us the fourth version of the same plan or same offer and we're done. We don't care. You just tell us, you know, implement your damn 50 game season. We'll show up and play. And I mean, I, I do feel like at least this is the first time where people gen generally like fans understand that this is the owners more than anything. I would hope anyway. Um, I would hope, but I also wonder how much that is like we di- we didn't have the same way to calibrate it or we didn't have the same indicators in 1994. Um, how much of it is just our echo chamber on Twitter or, or other reporters True. we're hearing or just extremely plugged in fans as a casual fan still realize that or they just think in terms of the players get paid so much. It's a kid's game as you thrown out right. But it's such a weird like qualifier like it's it's clearly an extremely lucrative industry that's like a worldwide like cash cow well, no, referring to as a james, kids game is so absurd james it is not a profitable industry that is why all these owners spent all that money on buying teams because like, they wanted to not make a profit off it i can teach a kid to make scrambled eggs but yet we still find ourselves like paying 13 dollars for it at a, a brunch place like <laughs> point out like like how much are you spending on scrambled eggs james not like that i'm just saying like things that (laughs) the the kids game like takedown just makes no sense to me no i it's just uh whatever i don't know maybe we'll have we're gonna have a baseball season it's just will it even be i I just (sighs) it's it's gonna be bad i feel like a, a whole like disgruntled labor force playing 50 games over the course of what two and a half months so it's going to be like a slower schedule maybe and i don't know it's and just... everyone's gonna be thinking about like why do i sacrifice anything for like this uh like stupid season like if a player if anybody like has if any starting pitcher of any note like if if dylan sees like so much as tweaks a hamstring wouldn't you just be like shut him down done yeah because yeah. <laughs> because why bother for this stupid season or if you start like if you start a year like five and ten do you start thinking done. about like shut it down yeah done fuck it let's just all let's let's put out our taxi squad prospects they need to get some playing time to develop we'll leave the rest of our guys alone it's i i i'm very very mad i'll just leave it at that and yeah let's move on uh shout outs you know what i'm gonna shout out a sport that is coming back, and I did the math. I mean, there's it, there's been a match every day for like the last week, and the next day there isn't a match is July 3rd. And so I've decided that soccer is the new baseball, 
and I, I might just, I don't know. We'll see what happens with this baseball season. But Aston Villa is back on Wednesday. The Premier League is back on Wednesday. The Spanish Liga has already started. The Bundesliga has started. Serie A doesn't get started until Saturday, although the Copa Italia resumed this week. And shout out to Napoli for getting in their semifinal. So they'll be playing Juventus in, in the final of that tournament. But soccer's back. Soccer will do. And uh, hey, maybe one day the Turkish league will start again or Tiago will get out of Turkey, James. I don't know, because four transfer requests get turned down. See, Saul Alex Island, great teams to play for or play against that, you know, Tiago be thrilled for the opportunity. But I guess he's just going to stay uh, in Besiktas forever, playing with freaking Tyler Boyd and Adam <laughs> Lechic, Lucic or whatever, because it's and then playing as out of position as the sole striker, um, even though that year in, in Portugal revealed that uh, right wing is kind of a bad fit for his yeah, skill set, probably. <laughs> the good news for us is that as baseball defenestrates itself, you and I, we could just easily transition into being a soccer podcast. We're already halfway there. So, you know, at least we'll be able to make that transition smoothly. Who's your shout out for? Uh, I mean, I just thought I would shout out Evan Marshall. Uh Mostly, he was already a chill dude that I like talking to, but his Twitter account has amused me a lot because he's both been like calling out um, the ownership really frequently, but also police brutality uh, on his Twitter feed. But mostly because he made me giggle uh, when Scott Merkin asked him who's who's the best pitchers, like or who's the best hitters who's ever like hit a home run off of him, or at least. And he said, uh, Nelson Cruz and Mookie got me last year, and they're pretty great. Altuve got me last year, too, but you never know with them. Hashtag bang, bang. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Shout out to Evan Marshall. All right, uh, that that wraps it up. We we appreciate all of you business for listening. And we'd also appreciate if you could do us a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just go ahead and give us a five-star review if you enjoy the show, because it helps people find us in the app. Another way to help people find us If you enjoy the show and know of another White Sox fan who might enjoy it as well, just tell them about the show. Also, for those of you who aren't aware, Athletic subscribers can listen to the show via the Athletics app ad-free. So, you know, you don't have to listen to James Cower, like, in embarrassment as I read erectile dysfunctional pills. Uh, So, yeah, there we go. It's another successful show in the book for James Vegan. I'm Tom Fernelli. Thank you for listening to White Sox Business. (laughs) 